G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm excited to have Lacey Filipich from Money School back on the show, and she is going to make mastering your money actually exciting. We're going to look at how to get control through the different phases of your journey and the money challenges that get thrown at you. She finds all the interesting ways to actually get on top of your money and especially at the moment with rising interest costs, uh, rising living costs, all these things just adding up. It's a perfect time to become a master of your money. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. Hey, Lacey. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really excited to be going back into what some people consider the deep end of uh, you know, managing your money. Mm, delighted to be here. Thanks for having me, Jared. Well, of course, you you live in the same world as me um, over in Perth, but everyone throughout the whole of Australia would be doing it tough at the moment, wouldn't they? Whether you're a tenant, you've got your rent increasing and your cost of living increasing, whether you're a owner of just your family home, you've got you know, your interest going up. And then if you're a property investor and you own multiple properties, you dread the day that the Reserve Bank meets on the first Tuesday of every month, just waiting to see if interest rates are going up. Mm, and for many I people, totally agree. Yeah, you, you know that pain as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a familiar pain, isn't it, for everybody mm. at the moment since we've just had our 10th consecutive rate rise, mm. which I agree. I think um, there are lots of people who will be feeling that stress at the yeah. moment and it touches pretty much everybody, I think, that doesn't have huge amounts of cash reserves or a very high income yeah, that they're not spending all of at the moment. So yeah, I think that that probably most of your listeners will, at some point, somewhere in their financial lives, be feeling the pinch, whether it's through increased costs, or I think you're right there to mention mortgages, especially people with multiple mortgages that were maybe banking on a sub five percent mortgage, mm. which a lot of people probably have been for quite some time, given how yeah. our economy has performed. There might be a few people having heart attacks right now, worrying about how they're going to maintain their payments and how they're going to either sacrifice some lifestyle or free up some equity from somewhere else to cover those payments. Yeah, well, when we had COVID, of course, we all were stuck and couldn't do a lot of those peripheral spendings. Uh, I know I didn't take a holiday for nearly two years and going down south just didn't seem to cut it. So hopefully some people have squirreled away some money and have got it parked in offset. I think that's why it's probably taking a little while for the effect of these interest rates to show up. Is that what you'd think in speaking to most people? Yeah, absolutely. When we look at what happened during the pandemic, so Australians were saving about 5% on average and it jumped to 22% at the beginning of the pandemic. Yes, a huge, right? Massive increase. And logically, because people were suddenly going, what's going to happen to my income? What's going to happen to the business that I'm working in? There was that, that huge degree of uncertainty. And we know that in those times, people feel a lot more comfortable having more cash on hand because that's going to get them through these hiccups. Mm. And of course, that's three years ago now. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, you know, COVID hasn't gone away, but we're living with it now. We've accepted it and, and it's back to business as usual. So we've actually seen those saving rates drop right back again, back close to what it was pre-pandemic. 
Now, some of that will be, okay, I accept the risk, but some of it's also because people have been forced to spend more. So those who could have saved are finding it harder at the moment because what was going to make ends meet originally doesn't anymore. Mm. And so I think while there's that bit of this um, fear that drove that saving, there's also just the fact that, hey, my costs have gone up so much. And the problem has been that wage growth has been much slower to respond, which we know is a problem. So we know it's taken a while and you might have seen a lot of the media around the fact that there are some very big businesses that have made a lot more profit recently, like significantly more profit. And, you know, you would consider that probably a windfall. It's just a benefit that's happened to them because of supply shortages. There's probably a proportion of it that is what you would call gouging. Um, I'm sure that that will be on the radar of ASIC and the like, so I won't try and, you know, hypothesise who that might be Mm. (laughs) or, or anything like that. But because of those increased profits and because people haven't had their wages catch up, there will be a lot of people now who just can't afford their current lifestyle, especially with mortgages. Because, of course, as we all know, the bank doesn't care if you haven't had a pay rise. They Mm. still want their money back. (laughs) Yeah. And people certainly, if it comes to prioritising the restaurant out a few times a week and the takeaways and other things there i think a lot of people myself included are making changes for what we can control and what are some of the things that you know you might suggest people look at to get a better handle on their budget do you have any sort of top tips for Mm. because budgeting (laughs) you know can often be quite boring um oh it's horrible i don't like it myself (laughs) no but when you get the outside pressures of costs, you've got to look inside and start to make a few changes. Otherwise, you know, if you keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, I think that was Einstein or something, definition yeah. of insanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It's a good point, that one. So first of all, I will point out that I dislike budgeting just as much as most mm. people do. I think the only people who get excited by the word budget are accountants and politicians. And mm. that's pretty much it because it, it can be very boring and it can be very disempowering for some people i think so the first thing i want to say to people is the budget is not absolutely compulsory for most people most of the time okay so it will benefit a lot of people you'll probably do better with your money if you do budget but when it comes to crunch time when you are struggling then you need to get onto this earlier so even if you haven't liked it before do whatever you need to do to reward yourself to give yourself an incentive to look at this okay Mm. because it's going to be really important for you if you are starting to notice that you don't have much discretionary income left over and for those people who are already looking at taking on short-term debt so that would be buy now pay later credit cards payday loans anything like that if you've been looking at those alternatives now is the time to do your budget even if you didn't like doing it sorry it's one of the joys of adulting (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately uh, and and that that goes for people who are really struggling okay now don't forget there are people like financial counsellors who can help you with these kinds of things? So if yeah, you there really is so many more services these days, isn't there? It's like there is, so. there is. There's heaps of that sort of stuff. And so look, there are apps. Fine, they're great if you like them. I personally think if you're someone who's struggling and you need help, then financial counsellors are a great place to start if you qualify. And that's because they can't sell you anything. <laughs> they can't sell you a product they can't sell you an ongoing subscription to an app so and they will act with your your best interests at heart so i do think calling a financial counsel is a good place to start all that said right so let's say okay i'm going to tackle the budget the first thing that often gets talked about is discretionary spending but i would actually say go for your biggest fixed costs first so don't 
don't look at cutting back the coffee necessarily or the dishes out. I think they're great things to do and you might do them later. But first mm. thing you want to do is get those fixed costs down as far as you can. And number one for people listening to this show is negotiating on your mortgage rate. If you haven't asked for a reduction on your mortgage rate, now is the time to mm. call the bank. Now, you don't have to be rude. You don't have to be all bolshy and like, oh, I want a rate or I'm leaving. You know, be <laughs> careful because some of them will call you bluff. <laughs> um, but there's nothing wrong with you calling up your bank and saying, look, I've seen a better offer online. You know, I've Googled it and I can get this offer with this bank. I'd like you to match it. Now, they might not match it all the way because maybe they've got something that's better. Maybe they're a bigger bank. Maybe they let you have an offset for free. I don't know. Maybe there's some perk that would mean that you would stay. Mm. But if you don't ask, you don't get. And the last time I had this conversation, it was eight minutes on the phone. I got a 0.25% reduction across all my mortgages, which adds up for the life of the loan. So I always say this is the quickest way to make 20 grand with your clothes on and your dignity intact. Because (laughs) Break (laughs) that down. Slip that in. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, how many, how, what, eight minutes and it's worth 20 grand? Like, how else are you going to make yeah, that much money? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, if so you have a good broker as well, they can, they mm. often, you know, can be reviewing like the rates, you know, automatically every six or 12 months. And the exciting thing for me is as rates have gone up, um, they, my broker has continued to review the rates and every sort of three to six months he pops up saying oh i've got you another 0.15 off another 0.25 off and i'm i've literally probably had around one to one and a half percent on most of my loans decrease at the same time that the increases have happened so you flip that around and you look at all the debt that i have and you know even for the average person when you work out the savings it can be massive so and without going that's through right. that process. So that's definitely the first place to start. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, so a broker is a great option. You can do it yourself. Um, hopefully, it's wonderful that you've got a proactive broker who's doing that. So if you have a broker and you haven't heard from them <laughs> for 12 months, <laughs> that's your cue to give them a nudge um, and recognize that you are allowed to swap. Um, you can find someone who does a better job if you're not very happy with the service you've been getting. Mm. So sorry that I've just put extra work on the mortgage brokers who are probably all ready. And they busy. are all very busy <laughs> with everyone contacting them about refinances <laughs> and other things at the moment. But yeah. Exactly. So that's the first place I would say to start because housing is generally your highest cost. And even if you're renting, um, it's worth talking to to your agent. There's a very good recognition that uh, rents have gone up on average. And I think you look in Perth and we were 0.1% vacancy rate for a long time. Is that? I think that's increased slightly, but slightly. Oh, yeah. Very. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's very still minor. extremely low. Yeah. So, so I recognize that it's not a great market to be shopping around, but there's no reason you can't, again, politely contact your leasing agent and say, hi, I'm just curious about this. Look, here's why. And if you've got a really good rental history, you've paid on time, you look after the place, there may be owners out there who are willing to give you a discount if you're polite and you ask, you know, nicely and you're you're a good tenant. I've certainly done it with tenants of mine in the past because I have preferred to keep them knowing that they're good tenants rather than say, well, I want the extra money because it takes so long to make that extra money back with the leasing fee if it's a small increase. So so don't forget you can ask for that. And then, of course, there's all the other big fixed costs like your insurance. There is a loyalty tax for insurance. If you just stay with your current provider and just keep paying their premiums each year, and this goes for housing, cars, all that stuff, then you are likely paying more than you need to. So insurance can be quite a significant cost for people, especially when you add private health in for those that Mm. have got private health. So take the time to shop around. Each year, put it in your calendar, 
please don't sign up for those compare the market sites because you're just signing up to get a lot of sales calls. <laughs> <laughs> um, do a manual search yourself. And, and if you find a better offer, again, the same as with your mortgage, you can call your current provider and ask them to match it so you don't have to change. If they won't match it, then you might be prepared to move. And then there's things like power. So if we've got anyone who's on the East Coast listening to this, you have a lot more choices than we they have do. in the West. <laughs> I was blown away every time I go to open. I had to open a temporary account while a property was being leased and I was like, oh, wow, lots more choice here. Exactly. So they've got the NEMCO, the National Energy Market Company, and they allow you to transfer through lots of different ones. So your provider is your choice. So uh, people like that can spend a bit more time looking around for power. We don't have that much choice in WA, but we do with our gas providers. So if you do have gas, then make sure you're looking at your gas provision to see whether you can get a discount there. So those big costs like that can add up really quickly to like thousands of dollars a year. So that's why I say start there, because why not have an eight-minute phone call with your bank rather than spending, you know, several hours looking for subscriptions. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. But that's not to say that you should ignore those. So once you had a look at those fixed costs, I'd then have a look at your latest bank statements or credit card statements, wherever you do most of your spending from. Grab a download. Now, for those who like playing with Excel spreadsheets, this is very easy to do these days. You can just get a download of the last 12 months and I would sort by the name, you know, oh, by the provider that you're giving tip. the money to. So, you know, you can see Coles. Oh, I've given all my money to oh, Coles boy. or to Woolworths yeah. or to RGA or whatever. <laughs> it's a good way to have a look at your spending. So you don't have to, you know, do anything fancy. Just sort by that and then work out the yeah. total for those chunk of um, expenses. And if you find you've got subscriptions particularly, that's the easy money usually, subscriptions that you're not using enough yeah, of. And we find this a lot with entertainment. Or the, are you still yeah. going to the gym and the gym one's another one that, creeps around and, you know, be better off just <laughs> yes. doing walking the block each day and getting some, you know, home weights or something if you're not actually going to the gym and you don't like atmosphere or whatever reason, you know. So. Yeah, exactly. And we all start, like, this is the time of year where that drops off, right? We all started in January. So this is a good time to look. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it is a good time to make those conscious decisions. And if there are ones you can reduce, and I would I would say phone and internet subscriptions in here as well. Often we will be on defaults with those that we used to pay a lot more money than we now need to. Like when I had this, I was paying previously about 80 bucks a month for a phone plan. And then I now have one that gives me like three times as much data for 30 bucks a month. Mm. Right. So although it's only $50 a month, that adds up to 600 bucks at the end of the year. You know, you do a few of those, you got another couple of grand pretty quickly. So yeah. I think that's definitely worth doing as well. And then, of course, there's the decisions around, and this is, I'm going to be a bit contentious, about what we need to spend money on for our kids. So that everyone will have different opinions on this. Mm. And I think there's We all a, want them uh, to have the best life and, you know. Exactly, yeah. Give them everything I, we never had. <laughs> Exactly. And in our heads, that has amounted to multiple sports subscriptions, lots of classes, uh, you know, lots of uh, clothes. It can be, or it could be all sorts of things. Sometimes mm. it's about private schooling. I would say if you are really struggling, you need to think very carefully about what is optional and what you've convinced yourself is is actually necessary versus what might actually be optional. So I, mm. I think about like my childhood, we didn't have much money, but I was always safe and loved. And I always use that phrase, safe and loved. That's all your kids actually really need. If they're safe and loved, they're going to be okay. There's a period of a couple of years where you can't pay for all the things. This is a good lesson for them. It's a good lesson for them to see how prioritization yeah. works and talking to them about it and helping them feel empowered about deciding, well, look, we can't do three sporting teams this year. You need to pick one, you know, or you can't have 
four hobbies. You know, we're not going to pay for art classes and this class and that class. Just pick one. You know, they can still have something but have that joy out of it. And I think I bring that up because I know a lot of parents go, but I can't, can't spend less. Mate, that is one of the best lessons you can give your kids. (laughs) This is the reality of of when the economy is like this. We have to do things differently and, and be part of the team and help us make the choices and and we'll do some other things to make up for it. We'll do some of those free or cheap things that we haven't done um, as much of. So I think that's going to be contentious and possibly upsetting for some people to hear. So yeah. feel free to ignore me. But I think it's worth thinking about. I guess it's all relative and, you know, to where you're at. And if you're having to consider whether you keep the roof over your head or whether you keep that investment property, then maybe it's worth considering whether you keep that, you know, insurer and all the other costs that you've just mentioned so definitely worth reviewing so yeah i don't i almost don't like using the word budget because it um puts me off um even looking at things (laughs) but um do you have any i agree i'm the same (laughs) so i like to try to you know automate things and um you know keep my i I sort of have a set amount of money going to a living expenses account each um, fortnight that our pays go into and then you know every six months I go into that living expenses account and that tip that you just gave about exporting and sorting by name that is awesome I usually go through manually and like you know look at them <laughs> and, and, and and yeah it's really hard to see them when you're dealing with many months but at least then you can you know focus on those living expenses and then if you've got your other money that you keep for um, lifestyle outside of that you could then just taper that amount down and when we've gone and uh, back to one income at certain points when we've had our first daughter I had a really lean profit year as well so um, I can't even ima- imagine um, how we survived on that amount then but you just do you know you just you do. change everything around and make it work and the lifestyle yeah. money that we were paying ourselves you know was half odd what we used to have each and because we were going through a different phase anyway we found, uh, you know, we were happy to stay at home. We weren't, we weren't going out for <laughs> yeah, sleep. Right, sleep's the priority. <laughs> You're like, I'll have more sleep then. I think your point there. There's two things. One is, if you really don't like the word budget, call it a spending plan in your mm. head. I find that works wow. a bit better for people because plans are flexible. Yeah, they and that is what it should be. And I think that second point you made about automation, I often talk about that as being budget by bank balance, the four Bs, right? You know, using those automated transfers. So. This can work really well if you are on a payroll somewhere and your payroll system allows you to nominate multiple accounts. Yep. Sometimes they'll have a limit, but um, it can be two or three accounts. Yeah, if you so want if you to have transfer one 10, you know, exactly. 10 accounts, they might have a few problems with that. Yeah, they might. Yeah. that might not work. But if you have a spending account for the family, a saving account or an emergency one, you could send things straight from the payroll off to those accounts and I think your point about getting used to how much is in there is a really good one so the I can't remember where I read this number so don't don't treat this as like absolute gospel but it kind of makes sense which Mm -hmm. is that when you get a pay rise you will have mentally spent that in about five minutes (laughs) we (laughs) go oh that extra money would be great for this holiday or this you know I'll pay off this bit of the loan or whatever it is apparently it takes us sort of around six weeks to adjust to reduce spending so for the okay. first month and a half after you cut the amount of money it's at your disposal, so let's say we go from you know five grand a month to four grand a month, now that might be impossible with the amount of money you need to spend, but maybe it's not. Maybe some people have had a lot of discretionary spending. It'll take you about six weeks apparently to just adjust to having less money, mm. and psychologically, emotionally, 
but you will change, you know, like if you were forced to, if you got mm. made redundant or something, you'd find a way to make that Oh, work. yeah, back in the uni days, I used to make 100 bucks a week, you know, go further than you can imagine. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And we've all had those moments. So, yeah. so sometimes that challenging yourself to just try it, particularly if some of the money is going to be in an emergency fund. So if you're going to have some cash, and that's a really important thing, I think, for a lot of people to sleep well at night, to know they've got some cash on hand, then if it comes to a week where you're all eating baked beans for dinner every night, then fine, get some money out of the emergency account. But if you just give it a shot, you might shock yourself. You might suddenly go, hey, wow, we have saved a lot of money. And then there is that comfort creep thing. How much stuff have you added to your life that's about this comfort that actually doesn't give you a lot of value anymore. So, you know, the things you added, like I always talk about, you know, wine and cheese, you know, you go from being the the cheaper cheese or the cheaper wine to the more expensive one, but are you proportionally still that much happier with it? Mm. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) But it's hard to go backwards. You know, you go, oh, now I'm going from the nice wine to the less nice wine. Oh, now I'm not happy. Again, you'll adjust. It's just this creep of comfort that happens. So you've just got to give yourself time and space and accept that and try and find some little rewards that keep you incentivized. So you don't do what people do on a diet when they go cold turkey and then suddenly they binge on chocolate, you know. <laughs> yeah. In this case, it's yeah. a big blowout <laughs> yeah. financially. Exactly. That's it. I'm buying the whole cheese yeah. board. I'm miserable. No, it's a, <laughs> And that's why you, I think you still need to have holidays. Nice and st- I think you still mm. need to have holidays and still need to reward yourself and, and exactly. hit, have those celebrations and those milestones and things because if you cut that out, like, entirely like what is there to live for as well you know you need some things to look forward to so exactly exactly so there are periods in your life where you won't be able to have any of those things just because it's so dire you know i hear think about people going through separations a lot when that feels like this massive adjustment it's huge so accept that but yeah if you can have something to look forward to in the future so even if it's by the time i've got a thousand dollars in my emergency account i'm going to celebrate with i don't know a particular meal or Mm seeing something in the movies. I don't know what it would be. Whatever's small enough for you to get that hit of dopamine because we've got to recognise that our brains want hits of feel-good chemicals and when you completely deprive them, yes, you are going to end up feeling pretty miserable and that's mm. not sustainable for anybody. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. Having, having something to look forward to is really important. Just have a think about what would have a lot of meaning for you. I'm like you, Jared. I want a nice holiday. <laughs> but sometimes that can be <laughs> experience uh, quite expensive. Well and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, I was just thinking over the top of when we were talking then that there is a number of points with different life stages where, you know, we've spoken initially about the general economy and rising interest rates, but life stages also have a big bearing on this. And maybe the, the having a baby one's top of mind because we've got um, our second child due this week. So Wow. Yep. Yeah. Just throw that in there. Mind. <laughs> oh, it's exciting. Congratulations. Yes. How fantastic. That's why I'm still looking relatively fresh. So I'm glad next week, you know, maybe not so after the sleepless nights. And, mm. But we're going to have to make some changes as well for a while. And when you also consider looking backwards, we mentioned that, you know, the when you're at uni and you get your first job and you have to move out of home, that first time out of home when you don't have all the protections of the uh, parents, it's like, wow, I didn't even know all these costs existed. <laughs> and we've so, all had one of those, haven't we? But you're, yeah. it's a good point. That stage of life matters. And I think particularly when I think about uh, you know, early career to late career, so there'll be people who are in their 50s and 60s now 
who are looking at the current economy and mm. wondering if a recession's coming because that could potentially impact their superannuation balance. Yeah. And imagine if you decide to retire, you know, the week of a recession and suddenly the value of your share portfolio has dropped by 10%. Mm. Yeah, stuff like that can make people a lot more sensitive. Especially if the income it's not throwing off is enough in itself and maybe part of your strategy might have been to have to sell some shares to also along the way realise enough you know, gain to pay that. And if you're selling, obviously, when it's down, that's not good. Mm. My parents certainly had a big adjustment period when they went through retirement because just going from having that active income continuously coming in and then all of a sudden being like, oh, wow, you know, we really do need to revisit the budget and know where our money's going and and um, decide what's important. So I think mm. a lot of these tips are going to be helpful at each stage and we don't realise often until we get in the moment of, oh, you know, money's tight again. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and of course, I think for some people as well in the middle stage we forgot about was, oh, the kids are now going off to private school. If, if, you, if, they do, if you do make the choice to send mm. them to private school, then all yeah, of a sudden a you one. might need to find thirty <laughs> to 40000 a year per child depending on whether they start in primary or high school and, oh, yeah. So very challenging at various stages along the way can be. Yeah, that's a really um, interesting one. And I'm going to question without notice here for you because yes. you're the property guy. So the argument that a lot of families have is, am I better off spending, you know, 150 grand per child, sending them off to years yeah. 7 to 12 at a high school? And then you add on all the extra costs, you know, that's 25 grand a year. There'll be some that are cheaper, some that are more expensive, but, you know, you've got the uniforms, the books, all that sort of stuff. Or am I better going and buying a house with that money, you know, adding that to my current house value. So if I've got two kids, maybe I upgrade by 300 grand on a house in an excellent high school area because the theory is the house will be worth more money later. Hmm. Have you got thoughts on that, Jared, as the property person? I figure I right, this is my perfect chance. What, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I do love this um, question because I went and did a study on what sort of difference in average annual capital growth might there be between being in a good school zone and being in one that isn't, you know, a top 100 school zone. And you only need to look at some of the amazing schools and you can see even one catchment to the next and just how different that average annual growth rate's been. So it typically has been in in the five or six top schools that I looked at compared to neighbouring suburbs, about a 2% on average difference per year in growth. So when you extrapolate that out, on a 500k purchase, just assuming you put the same amount of money into both, that would end up being an extra 1.1 million dollars in total growth over 30 years. So, some considerable difference um, in the actual growth that you'll experience. And I know uh, I think a lot of people should look at buying in that better location, getting into the school and spending the extra on even if it costs more. I just, in that example, I assumed spending the same, but realistically, you're going to have to spend that extra amount more. And let's say you look at the loan interest. Stuart Wames did a really interesting um, study as well. You can check out his podcast podcast that he released last week on Investopoly and um, the podcast is called Investopoly and he did a really case-by-case comparison of numbers on if you invested the same amount in the share market or if you invested in a property and or you know were you better off and he came to the conclusion as well that you were definitely better off buying in the public school quality school zone now of course yeah, I don't yeah 
So it, it was something that I always kind of, we all kind of feel like it makes sense. But when I saw that the growth numbers were that big a difference and 2% to a lot of people are like, oh, is that much, Jared? Well, yeah, it is. It's the difference between like investment grade sort of return and, and a sub sort of par return. So it makes a huge difference. Yeah, really good point. I'm going to go check out that podcast and hmm. those stats because it's one of those ones I've got a year five and a year two. So yeah. we're having the, you know, the eternal debate. I am in a, in a good high school zone. I think um, uh, John Curtin College over here. Uh, Three man is considered pretty good yeah. in in the top one, so uh, I hope I'm okay. <laughs> but <laughs> but the flip will, side, uh, it's never look. just all about money, is it? So there's a lot of no. other things that come in as to what type of education you want your kids to have, and sometimes your values and and the kind of t- you know teaching that you want is only available at certain private schools or certain um, yeah. you know religious based schools. So. It's never just about money, but if it was just about money, you'd probably go the way of public school and you think about, okay, well, why does that suburb have higher than average growth? And it really comes down to that desirability factor underpinning the demand from tenants as well, which also makes for a great investment property and a reason for choosing that location for investment too. A lot of people just think, oh, it's only for home owners. But you try and get a, a rental in the Rossmoyne um, school zone and, uh, you know, I'll probably be speaking to you six months later and you still haven't found something at the moment. <laughs> yeah, good point. Really <laughs> so, good point. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So, yes, I think that's a, a really pivotal choice. You know, when I think about yeah. before 2013 when we had our mining crash, you know, like all the private school lists were full. Yeah. And then, you know, we had that crash and then even with the pandemic, you know, it wasn't a case of you needed to put the, the firstborn on before they're born, you know, which is a thing on the East Coast. A lot of those schools require mm. you to pretty much, when you're starting to think about the child, yeah. <laughs> uh, put them on the list. Have you have got them on this list? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit different over here. So I think they're probably like me. There are people that make that decision mm. during some point during primary school. Well, we've touched on... B word, don't like saying it, budgeting. Uh, We've spoken about some really helpful money management tools as well. And the final thing that sort of comes up for me when trying to navigate this challenging time is financial IQ. And what does that really kind of mean? And how do what's some of the practical ways? And we we were just actually throwing around something that requires financial IQ, that decision of where you make the choice to to, to live and how that relates to the costs around your schools and stuff. So that's probably a pretty good example. But what does it mean for you and what's some of the ways that we can be practical about it? Oh, I love this question. So I think, first of all, I'll start with a general IQ point, which I hammer home whenever I get the opportunity. So I'll get on my soapbox again, which is when you're under financial stress, your IQ drops by 13 points on average. Wow. And that's research out of Princeton University from 2013. So they found that when you're under financial stress, what happens is part of your brain gets taken up with worrying about it. So you're on this podcast or you're listening to the kids or you're driving and you're going, oh, gee, I wonder if I'm going to be able to make the mortgage payment. What am I going to do if it goes up? Or what am I going to do if I can't afford the school fees? You know, those kinds of things. And because your cognitive capacity, like your brain CPU is being chewed up, you make worse decisions everywhere. So no matter how good your training is, no matter how good your your base knowledge is, Mm. If you're in a situation of financial stress, you will on average make worse decisions and not just with your money, with your relationships, your health, your job, yeah, all that right. stuff as well. So so I think the point with that that I'm trying to make is when we're in that state, it's often too late to be making key decisions. 
And if you are in that state and you're trying to make those decisions, then it's a really good time to seek help. (laughs) External advice through a financial counsellor, Centrelink's financial information service and advisor, trusted professionals that you know, um, to help you see the things that you don't see. So we just talk through that reasoning process. You're going to be less good at that when you're under financial stress. So knowing that about yourself and that that's not you, it's not something wrong with you, it's humankind does this. (laughs) (laughs) Our brains... Our brains do that. So don't beat yourself up for it, but acknowledge that that's often a time to get help. Now, that said, the more you know you know, about your money, the, the better your chances are that you'll make a reasonable decision. And I think it's an interesting point that gets brought up a lot. They go, oh, we should have it in the school system. Guys, it's been in the curriculum since 2011. <laughs> mm-hmm. every, every child graduating now has had financial literacy in every year of school. And uh, we've gone backwards. Our financial literacy has gone backwards, okay. which is very embarrassing. So we do a, a test called the PISA test, P-I-S-A. I do different topics each year. It's an international test. And our 2012 result is higher than our 2018 result. We haven't had another test because of the pandemic since then. But yeah, that's pretty wow. embarrassing. We've got all this amazing education. So I um, actually have this big philosophical debate about the how much education in school is useful. I think it's really important at home. Yep. I think there's so much about money that's to do with values um, and beliefs and ethics that isn't in the maths that it's, it's a really important discussion to have at home. So I think mm. the more we can do to skill up ourselves by talking about these things with our partners and our friends and our you know, people that we trust, uh, reading widely if you can uh, and making sure that you're taking what works for you because I think there's a real tendency for people to go for recipes and recipes tend to be very lowest common denominator, as in mm. this is the simplest version. And so yeah. they're not right for everyone. And I think you've got to build up that ability to test whether something's right for you or not. So that, I think, is really important because what's right for you is going to be different to what's right for me. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, It's so about it's really knowing yourself, isn't it, as well? Because I know as well that when my emotions are high, my um, own thinking process is uh, low. <laughs> dumbed down and uh, i think it that's it also comes heavily into play when you're buying a property as well because i just find when i'm buying for me and i don't have other experts involved i can miss things i can skip over things i can want to just you know win and secure that property but then i miss you know the diligence on something but when i'm acting for a, a client or i can hold it up to the biggest scrutiny you can imagine and i'm just not you know emotionally tied into it and you know i don't mind telling someone completely all the ins and outs and how it is and i can think logically about it so that really struck a chord when you were talking through the the actual science behind the drop in your iq exactly because you don't have a vested interest right You, Mm. you 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 can be impartial it's very hard to do that with ourselves so i think that's the first thing I think the other thing that's really important is if you've got things that worry you, that keep you up at night about uh, money, yeah. make a plan about them. Yeah. Like just make a plan. Uh, and ideally you'll have some things in that plan which are prevention, so things you can do in advance. That's like I'm worried I'm going to lose my house or I'll get insurance, that kind of thing. And then you've got things that you can do that are mitigation steps. So if the thing happens, well, you know, let's say you do lose your house, what would you do? Move back in with your folks, rent a room here. You know, what would you do? Mm. Those kinds of things. So if you can start creating those kind of action plans, doing the preventative stuff, then you've got less chance of those stresses actually hitting you and you'll sleep better. 
So I think there's there's yeah. some stuff around that which is about being preventative, getting on top of things. There's a very topical thing in the media at the moment about banks going under relating to the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. Oh, yeah. Um, So what can you do to make sure that that doesn't happen to you if, very slim chance, but if it happened in Australia that the bank you were with had collapsed? And the answer is, of course, you go and make sure you've got less than $250,000 so you're under the financial, what's it called, the FCS, financial claim scheme limit, uh, those kinds of things. So, you know, if you do those in advance, then when something does go wrong, you're less likely to have that worst kind of response, you know, mm. that knee-jerk reaction. You've got a plan that you created when your brain was fully happy. You were there. You could, you know, come up with your solution. I think that's probably a pretty important yeah. thing for people to recognise and know that it's not something that's broken with them. But that said, you still need the basic knowledge. So whatever you need to do, read, listen to podcasts like this one, whatever whatever flicks your switch, get curious and get learning about the areas you're most interested in. It will pay off for you. Awesome advice. So I'm sure that's all going to help a lot of people tuning in. And, of course, if they want to go deeper and you've got so many helpful resources, tell us about a few of them because the Money School website, every time I check back in there, it's coming further along and offering even more for people. And the thing I love oh, about them is that they're also affordable for people to to upskill and get that greater financial IQ and you make things fun as well. It's not you know, boring. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, Tell us a bit oh, about that's good. Thank you. That is my goal. And it is. <laughs> um, so look, the best thing I think for most people is generally to start with my book. So you can get the book at a library yeah. or listen to it on Audible or get an ebook on your Kindle, whatever you like, because it's with Penguin, you can get it wherever you buy books. I think mostly ordering online these days. It's been and out of course, for that's years. called so, Money School, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Very good. Yeah. So Money School, become financially independent and reclaim your life. So nice. that's about the three rules I talk about. You know, I mentioned no uh, no recipes. I stick to three rules, which are save, buy assets, and avoid bad debt. That's my three rules. So that's pretty much what everything is about, and you'll see that's the structure I use on my site. I've got a lot of online courses as well. So if you like watching videos or listening to people talk like the equivalent of podcasts and you want educational stuff, there's lots of short courses on there, so including for teenagers. I've got a couple now for how to yeah, budget if you're fun. a teenager or what investing is like and buy now, pay later, and there's a short course on shares. And then I've got some bigger courses and one of them's on managing your money and then the other one's on growing your wealth. So it just depends on what you like. And then, of course, I often get hired to speak at things like local councils, state government staff, schools, that kind of thing. So I do bespoke speaking opportunities. Most of them are for a particular you know, conference or event, but sometimes they're public as well. So follow me on social media and you'll see if one of those pops up. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Lacey. And I'll thank have you so to have you back on again, no doubt, because I love your take on money and how to become better at it. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jared. It's been a delight. Just a reminder, that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at Investors Edge com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. Mm-hmm.